Okay. Good afternoon, everybody. Cole here from Aggressive Adventures. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Zoom to Adventure. Uh, today we have uh, Tech Clark. How you doing, Tech? Great. How are you doing, Cole? Good. Everyone's uh, very envious of your studio there. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nice. It's very nice. So uh, thanks for joining us today, guys. So we're going to uh, talk to Tech here. It's going to be an interview-style uh, Zoom call. Um, you guys are welcome to ask questions in the chat box. Uh, those questions will come directly to me. I'll ask the questions uh, probably toward the end of the call, and uh, we'll just have a fun time with it learning about tech. So um, before we get started, let me read you the bio on our website about tech. Tech Clark is a diving industry expert who has held very elite positions in the dive industry, including managing director of the University of Florida's academic diving program and national director of the YMCA scuba program. He holds 40 professional certifications with over 15 diving agencies. Tech has received numerous, offer, numerous honors for his instructional abilities and has co-edited several diving texts. He also appeared as a diving expert on A&E, the Learning Channel, and Outdoor Life Network. He, he was captain of the U.S. Freediving Team and is the founder of both Reef Ministries and ScubaGuru.com. Tech is the Associate Director of the Aquatics and Scuba Diving at Nova, Nova Southeastern University at Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He hosts both the League of Extraordinary Divers podcast and also the Dive Locker podcast. Quite a resume, Tech. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it just means I'm old. That's all. <laughs> I've been around for a long time. That's all. <laughs> well, let's, let's hear the story. We want, we want to hear, hear your story. So let's just kind of start from the beginning. Tell us about your upbringing and, and uh, how you kind of got into scuba diving and free diving. Well, thanks. Um, I got into it at a very young age. Uh, my mom was a water safety instructor. She taught me how to swim uh, when I was an infant. And, um, you know, living down here in South Florida, we've got pools everywhere. So it's kind of a requisite to learn how to swim. But I took to it really, really well. Um, I lived in the pool as much as possible at my grandparents' house. And uh, I would just, you know, it was like a circus show thing for <laughs> my grandparents to say, you got to watch tech, look how many laps he can do underwater. And so I would just go, you know, till I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I didn't know I had a talent for it. Uh, so I did swimming, did, you know, all kinds of things growing up. But then when I was 12, uh, a friend took me offshore here at Lauderdale by the sea uh, to do some scuba diving. And I did that. Um, on that dive, it was really interesting. His tank came out and I wasn't certified. This was, um, you know, just a guy took me type thing, a big no-no. But I sat there and just analyzed what was going on and he's pointing at it and I didn't know what to do, but I went and solved his issue and put it on. So it was like I was a little mini instructor at, at 12. I guess that set a hook or something. But really the deal is, is that my whole life has been around water and has been around the ocean. And um, my inspiration was, of course, you know, Jacques Cousteau, the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau and different documentaries like that at the time. But bigger than that was my grandfather taking me fishing with him, uh, deep sea fishing off of Florida here. And we would go out into these just cobalt blue waters and catch all kinds of things. And as a kid, I would look at that and it, it kind of bothered me. I mean, eat, eating the fish was good, right? But it bothered me to watch this fish come up and then just be kind of going through different color changes and, and ultimately die. 
I wanted to be down there with them. I always wanted to know what other fish were they associating with? Where were they in the, in the water? It was just really, really uh, a wild thing to uh, want to be down there so badly. And so when I had that opportunity and I did it, uh, diving stuck. So then I went on to become a certified diver, uh, became certified, got certified in advanced. Um, and then I went to the University of Florida. And when I was at the University of Florida, I had to drop a golf class because I had a conflict. And while I was dropping my golf class, these guys at a little table were there and they said, hey, you need a couple credit hours? I said, yeah. They said, are you a diver? And I said, I am. And they said, what level? Advanced. Great. You can sign up for our next level class, which is assistant instructor. What? And so sure enough, two credit hours, it worked with my schedule. So I signed up for the assistant instructor course at the University of Florida Academic Diving Program. And that was uh, an absolute game changer. I wasn't a very good assistant instructor, by the way. Um, I rarely was able to make a lot of the experience classes and things like that. So I wasn't around as much as I should have been. But at the end of the semester, all my buddies that I went through it with were going into the instructor course. And I said, no, 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 I'm not ready for that, ah, whatever, you know, and they just convinced me. So the night before the instructor class started at the University of Florida, I called my mom up and said, mom, can I borrow some money? I want to become a scuba instructor. And she said, it's always something you can fall back on. So that's been the running joke between my mom and I for decades after that was that my fallback became my career. And uh, with that, during that time, I was able to um, work down here. I spent some time with my mom when she had cancer. I moved back down to South Florida, spent time with her, but then also cut my teeth as a dive master, a private instructor, worked with the Broward Sheriff's Office dive rescue team. Um, and so that got me into law enforcement. And that was a really neat public, public safety diving was a really unique area of, of diving as well. Back to uh, University of Florida, once my mom was good, they invited me to be the managing director of the dive program there. So I did that for a while and then graduated finally from uh, University of Florida, then had an opportunity to work at the YMCA scuba program headquarters in Norcross, Georgia a neighbor of yours, right? Yeah. And uh, so we, uh, I moved up there, became a consultant or an intern, then a consultant, then the assistant director, then the national director, all in a two-year period. And that was wonderful to run the YMCA scuba training program, a very historic and legendary dive training program. So that was a lot of fun to, to uh, be a part of that time. After that was... Um, working at Emory University for a while, Georgia State University as well, both in Atlanta, and then came back down to South Florida and worked at ProDive. ProDive was a big instructor training school down here, so I did that, and at the same time, kicked up a ministry in diving called Reef Ministries, um, and then uh, on the side, I was doing forensic dive accident investigation. And that is the CSI of the underwater world. So I was able to work diving accidents based on my law enforcement investigative background and public safety diving background and, and on and on. So uh, that was the dark side of our sport. Definitely the dark side of the sport. It's not fun 
to investigate incidents like that. Um, but then a wonderful opportunity opened up at Nova Southeastern University, where I had the honor of giving the president of the university a refresher. And he said, I learned more in my refresher with you than I learned in my open water course or my advanced class. What is that about? And I said, oh, it's academic diving. It's what I did for 10 years at the University of Florida. And we had the largest dive program in the country and blah, blah, blah. And he got so excited. And I said, Nova would be the perfect place for this because of your oceanographic center. And he got so excited. He said, write me a proposal. And boom. Uh, seven months later, the, the Nova Southeastern University academic diving program went live and emerged. So, and that's where I am today. And then along the way, uh, scubaguru.com came up, a resource site for divers and instructors. Then uh, the League of Extraordinary Divers podcast, where I interview legends in the diving industry and hear their great stories. Um, and then the Dive Locker podcast, which is for dive professionals where we talk about anything that helps them to get better at teaching techniques, risk management, and dive business. So, oh, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's a long time. I, as you can tell, I'm pretty darn old with all that. <laughs> well, uh, tell us a little bit about freediving in the, uh, the, the U.S. freediving team. Ah, yeah. So um, I had a passion for freediving. It was really, it grew from the days at the University of Florida Academic Diving Program. We were both uh, NAWI, YMCA, CMOS, um, which all of those organizations really did focus on a strong aquatic skill set. And so for those that are NAWI instructors or old YMCA instructors listening to this, you know that you had to go through a skin diving ditch and recovery where you had to go to the bottom of the pool, take your mask and snorkel off, come up, go back down, put it all back on. Doesn't matter how deep it is. You got to get it all on right. And so I was horrible at it because I really didn't, my, my head wasn't in the right spot. I was good underwater, but that particular technique was hard. So we started getting really good at it and really good. Like we would go down and then we would take our watch off and put our watch back on during the breath hold, or we would take a weight belt off and put the weight belt back on. So we started amping it up and before long we got really good. And with that CMOS, which is the world underwater federation, um, they had a whole arm which was dedicated to free diving and free diving world records. Well, at the same time, our whole dive program was obsessed with the movie, The Big Blue. So if you're a listener and you've watched that movie, you understand the obsession there. If you're not familiar with the movie, definitely rent it, download it, do whatever you need to do, The Big Blue. Um, it's about the, the life of Jacques Mayol and uh, a legendary freediver. And so we watched that, we memorized lines, and it was kind of like this inspiration piece. And then we all got better with our freediving. And this was the late 80s. Um, so freediving didn't have, we didn't have certification agencies. No one knew the proper techniques of what to do and how to do it. Safety was really rogue. So we were all cutting our teeth in freediving at the time. And I became a judge for CMOS for freediving world records. Uh, so I did that, uh, did some, some major records, Megan Haney Greer, Tanya Streeter, Alejandro Ravallo, lots of uh, big folks at the time. 
And then it was Megan Haney Greer and I in 1996 that founded the United States Freediving Team. And so we founded that. And then years later, I was captain for the team in 2003 at the Pacific World Cup, where our women's team took first place in Kona, Hawaii. Uh, amazing experience. But freediving is my hobby. Scuba is my job. Freediving is my hobby. I can't get enough of it. It's what I do with my family right off our beach here in, in uh, Lauderdale by the sea. Love it. Can't get enough of it. It's just great. Wow. Well, I know you had mentioned on our preliminary emails that uh, there's, there's a lot of benefits of free diving for scuba divers. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. You know, free diving, you can look at different cultures of sports, right? You've got in downhill uh, snow sports, you've got uh, downhill skiing versus uh, snowboarding. In the world of whitewater, you've got whitewater rafting and you've got kayaking. In scuba and in our diving, we've got scuba diving and free diving. And the, the two worlds are different. They play a, a bit with each other, but there's something really special about the simplicity of free diving and the free diving techniques that are used and so forth. It's not for studs and studettes that you know, can have naturally large lung volumes and stuff like that. Many people think that, and that's, so untrue. Some of the top performing free divers in the world at the athlete level are petite, I mean petite females. So physiologically speaking, it's not about the lung volume. It's about composure. It's about breathe up. It's about relaxation, heart rate, things like that. And so what we start to learn is that the movements in free diving are absolutely essential for your success as a free diver. In other words, if you've ever been down to John Penny Camp Park in the Keys and you've watched all those, you know, millions of snorkelers a year come out and go free dive or snorkel and then they try to get down and, you know, high five the statue of Christ down there, which you never should do because it's got fire coral on it. But they try to go down there or they try to get underwater. What happens? They immediately turn around and bolt back to the surface. What's going on there? It's CO2 buildup. And it's happened while they're the surface chugging along. It's happened while they're underwater. They're sculling to keep their head up and talk to people. What we learn in freediving is to be able to just absolutely relax and to calculate every muscle movement that one does. And every muscle movement should be about 25, 30% speed that you would normally do. So you don't want fast jerky movements. You don't want anything that's creating carbon dioxide. And so that is a big piece of the relaxation part that by being a free diver, you then transform you're diving in scuba, you start, start to slow down and you start to calculate arm movements, leg movements, your kick elongates and you become more streamlined, hydrodynamic because you know how you should be, your attitude in the water, your posture. It all gets really refined when you're going through a free diving course and free diving training. And that equates to having excellent breathing rates when you get to go on scuba. So now 
The better you are as a free diver, the better you are as a scuba diver. And it's very interesting. People uh, come and, and, you know, they'll look and they'll say, you've got these huge fins. Yeah, free diving fins. What you're scuba diving with free diving fins. And I've got these split fins here. And these are so much easier to use. How can you be using, you know, those, those long free diving? Wait a minute. It, this is what it's about. Who needs to have the greatest preservation of, of oxygen and the lowest production of CO2? A free diver, right? They only have that one lungful of air to go down. So why would we have the biggest fins out there to power them through? Why wouldn't we do simple? It's because it's such slow calculated movements and efficiencies. Whereas you look at some other folks that have very flimsy light fins or so forth, and they're really motoring through the water. That's the difference. And so when you can pay attention to things like that, uh, your breathing, your heart rate, your movement through the water, all of that makes you a better diver. Very interesting. It's, it's actually something I never thought about. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, okay, well, yeah, that's very interesting. So let's uh, go on to our next little note here. Um, you mentioned the uh, importance of your dive instructor and proper training. Mm. Not cheap, not quick. Uh, can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. I think everybody that is listening right now uh, can remember their first dives. They can remember their first instructor. The thing is, is that, you know, what's an, one of the top things that we do as divers when we're encouraging others to get into diving is to do the word of mouth about an instructor that we knew, we went through our training with, and it was great. So when an, an instructor has a really, really um, important role as a guide, a mentor, a coach in diving, but it's not only the technology and the techniques that we're learning, it's how to be a diver. It's etiquette. It's all of these other factors that are so important. And I think that that's where um, it's important to focus on the instructor. When people start looking at how to get certified or what to get trained, what to take their next class or specialty, a lot of times we're pulling our same uh, consumerism attitude. So, you know, I want something on that I can buy for my house, I go on Amazon, right? And I'm looking at Amazon, I'm price comparing it with other things, and then I want it as cheap and quick as possible. But wait a minute, what about a service? A service is very, very different. And we're in that service business. And so being in the service business, it's way more than just cheap and quick. There's so much more to it. And that's why I find it and I invite everybody that when you're looking for scuba courses, training, specialty courses, it's not about the, the course. It's not about the agency. It's not about the, the price and time. It's about the instructor and the training that you're going to get. Focus on the value, the value of what you're getting for your price. And when people say, you know, I want to, uh, I want to spend X number of dollars on the course and that course is the cheapest one. But then when you look at the details and see how much pool time you're getting or how many dives you're getting or where those dives are at, that's the devils in the details. People aren't focusing on that. And that's really where they should. It's the quality experience and the quality instructors know that. And they're the ones that are making that experience for the student richer. 
richer than just getting online and doing an online course and then showing up at the pool and doing the minimum skills. And now you're done. Great. We go diving and you're done. It, it's not, that's not it at all. We want to focus on a better way to train, a better way to dive. And that is courses that just have a little bit more engagement with them, with the instructor. So that's what I love to tell people and share with people, especially new ones, is really here in South Florida, we've got a dive shop on every corner. It seems like it's not about the, the shop, those conveniences. It's really getting in there and saying, hi, I'm interested in this course. Who's my instructor for that? I'd like to meet them. Check them out. Check out their profile. Look at, look at them on their website or whatever it is. Um, meet them in person. That's a big, big thing. And that's where I think quality and value is essential versus the cost and time of any type of scuba training we do. And this is unique to uh, our sport. If you're there in Augusta, right? You got the masters. Imagine this. Someone says, you know, I want to be like Tiger Woods. And they go out and they buy Tiger Woods golf club. You know, the exact one that he's using, the exact one on the market. He's not going to get good, but only for the amount of time and energy and practice and instruction that goes into it. And so I think that that's an important thing is that if it was golf and you said, I want the cheapest and quickest golf lessons, that doesn't make sense, does it? No, but people don't look at scuba that way. They look at a C card and they look at, I just want to get this C card. So I'm going to get it as cheap and quick as possible, like any other consumer product. Nope, that's not, that's not it at all. That does sound like my golf uh, history. <laughs> <laughs> and how are you doing? <laughs> not well. Too busy for that. <laughs> You're not at Augusta yet? Oh, my gosh. What, what's going on? Oh, no. That's like impossible <laughs> to get out there. Well, let's move on to talking a little bit about your spirit, spirituality and faith underwater that you mentioned and talking a little bit about your Christian ministries, the reef ministries. Yeah. Well, thanks. The, um, you know, it's, it's weird to put ministry together with the underwater world or scuba diving or anything like that. Um, back in the day when I was teaching at uh, University of Florida, I was not a believer in any faith, although I grew up in the Catholic Church and all. I really gave up religion. I gave up faith completely. Uh, didn't care. Didn't care. Didn't want to believe in anything. And um, I had students that would say, I feel closer to God underwater than anywhere else on earth. And I would high five them and go, yeah, it is cool, isn't it? Rock on. Well, I heard enough of that over the years and it just stuck with me. And then working for an organization like the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association, I was around a lot of mentors in that organization that were really strong in their faith. And a lot of them turned me on to thinking of religion and faith differently. And then I met an amazing wife, uh, absolute woman of God, and she really started a journey of, yeah, you know, I don't think that your church upbringing is similar to my church upbringing. Here's what mine is like. And it was just a beautiful, uh, a beautiful side on the Reformed faith that was, you know, more about Bible study and understanding the word and on and on and on. So... I became a believer late in life. And uh, 
and I realized like I, I, I had not paid attention in my Catholic high school. I had not paid attention. I did not really read Bible and all. And so this became such a strong personal thing with me that in 2007, I really just accepted Christ into my life. And that was a very important part of, of me as a, of a person, as a husband, as a dad, everything just changed and blew up and just was beautiful and fantastic. So I went to seminary to, to catch up on what I had missed and, uh, you know, at least, at least, uh, start learning. And in that time in seminary, I just realized that, that God had given me so many gifts and talents in the diving industry that is there a way to showcase that the underwater world is the handiwork of God, that I personally believe that. And there's many other people that believe that too. And there is an absolute reason why so many people, so many of my own students and divers over the years have said, I feel closer to God underwater than anywhere else on earth. It's not just because it's cool. It's because there's a fundamental reason for that. As created beings, and here we are in God's creation, that to me is worshipful. So that's where the ministry started up. I felt called. I felt led to take people out and show them the underwater world from the perspective of that it's the handiwork of God. So we would give presentations on, on faith, on Bible verses, scripture that kind of points to God's creation. Um, and then bring in marine biologists who also have faith backgrounds that can showcase where the science does meet faith in scripture. And that was a really fun, engaging time to do that. And we would go snorkeling with church groups, scuba diving, uh, church groups, uh, Christian schools, um, men's ministries, women's ministries, you name it. We had all kinds of groups that really were passionate about this. And so that was what Reef Ministries uh, was. And now we've morphed into that we just send the message worldwide instead of having people come to Fort Lauderdale and, and come out with us. Um, now on our website, reefministries.com, there is an educational video that is how to make your time underwater worshipful. Um, and it's called God's Underwater World. So that's been my journey. It's been a really positive one. It's been a powerful one. And um, it's, 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 uh, it's just special. It's special when you can go underwater and give thanks and praise that we are in such an amazing, amazing creation. We're privileged to be with this peace, beauty, shape, design, order. Ah, those are all the hallmarks of a creator. And that just really gets me going. It's really great stuff. It's, uh, you can tell how passionate you are about that. It's very cool. Uh, well, did, did, the, uh, did the ministries have anything to do with uh, leading into the podcasts? No, actually, the podcast, uh, my first podcast is the League of Extraordinary Divers. The League of Extraordinary Divers came from when I was captain of the U.S. freediving team in 2003 at the Pacific Cup of freediving. I got picked up at the Kona Airport. Uh, by the event organizer. And in the front seat of the van was this older gentleman. And Glennon, the event organizer, says, Tech Clark, I want you to meet Bob Croft. And I just kind of do a double take. I'm, Bob Croft. Well, if any of you have studied the US Navy diving manual or are into free diving, you've heard the name Bob Croft because he was this legendary military diver who, um, 
was in the submarine towers up in, I wanna say Massachusetts, in the Northeast. And he would free dive down to 100 plus feet multiple times a day and just be there and go down and go up with all these military divers that were doing their submarine escape training. Well, he got good at it. I mean, really good at it. And he saw this competition going on between Jacques Mayol and Enzo Mayorca from Italy. So it was France, Italy, France, Italy. And that's the, the premise of the movie, The Big Blue, right? That we referenced earlier. Yeah. So he saw this. And in 1967, he says, I can do that. And he challenges them and gets CMOS to come out and officiate a record. And he does it right here off of Fort Lauderdale. And he goes down and he breaks the record of, of the time. I want to say it was 230 feet. Wow. You know, now we're doing crazy meters deep, uh, way beyond that. But now, um, at that time, that's what the, the record was. And he set it for that one year. And then he was done. He was like, this is stupid. <laughs> And he went back to drinking beer and smoking cigars and being in the, in the submarine chamber. So anyhow, this, here's this legend. Then I'm told you're rooming with him the whole week of this event. And I went, ah, oh, this couldn't get better. Well, it does get better. As soon as we check into our condo, Bob turns to me and he says, do you like scotch? And I said, yes, sir. I, I yeah, I'll, I'll favor a, a uh, a single malt every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. And he goes, Cuddy Sark, we got to go get some. And so we hopped in a cab before Uber, we hop in a cab, we go to the nearest liquor store and he gets the biggest bottle of scotch. I mean, I can't even, it's not exaggerating. It was like the biggest thing I've ever seen. I didn't even think they could sell them that big. And he gets that bottle of scotch and we go back and every single night of the competition, he and I, sit and I just ask stories and he tells me one story after another, one story after another, one story after another. And then we start inviting others from the competition in, other captains from the other teams and everything like that. And we had a blast. And that was the inspiration to launch the League of Extraordinary Divers podcast, Salty Stories from the Legends Themselves. And letting them tell their stories has been just amazing and they're telling stories and i mean we're talking all kinds of legends all kinds friday comes out wyland wyland is is coming up but bob croft was my first episode um and he was just great and you just sit and hear these stories of what it was like when they first got certified what's their favorite dive sites what was their scariest dive what was their most funny and humorous dives it's a really, really neat show to hear from all of these, these folks. So if you head over to scubaguru.com, you can see a list on the League of Extraordinary Divers of all of them. You can click and listen there or simply go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and you can hear them that way as well. But boy, there, there are just some legends in this industry that have amazing, amazing stories. And for those of you ladies that are listening right now and watching right now, um, Dottie Frazier, uh, the first female scuba diver, was one of my most fun episodes. Dottie talks about what it was like in a male-dominated sport 
to become the first woman dive instructor. It's eye-opening, it's emotional, uh, but it's empowering. So anyone would love it, but especially you ladies listening, you got to check that, that, that episode out. It's wonderful. Very cool. We'll be sure to, uh, to post a link in the Facebook post when we upload this video after. So we can go check some of those out. <clears throat> so tell us, so was the League of Extraordinary Divers, did that come out before the Dive Locker podcast? Yes, it did. I've been doing that one for years. The Dive Locker just came out last year and it was uh, put on my heart to do something to dive professionals. There's lots of great podcasts out in our industry. Um, you know, Scuba Radio, uh, Deeper Blue, Dram of Diving. There's a lot of great podcasts that are out there. Um, I wanted to do something that spoke to the dive professional. Uh, since 1988, that has been my focus. It's what I I transitioned into right after becoming an instructor was to train pros. It's the thing that excites me the most. And so professional training and development has been uh, so strong with me that I really, it, it just it didn't feel good enough just to do it to the uh, folks that I'm in contact with. There needed to be something that was a platform that dive professionals could listen to weekly, every week, to get some type of content that would help them be a better dive professional. And our three big areas that we kind of exist in as a dive professional are the areas of risk management and safety, uh, as well as how to teach, how to do it right, how to do it good. And then business, the business side of what we do. It's not just a hobby. Once we get paid for this, we're a pro. So it's important. And that has been what the show is all about. So we just hit our one year anniversary and that has been a lot of fun to do 50 plus episodes now um, and just launched one today. And uh, that's a really, really fun thing for me because I get to talk the talk and walk the walk with, uh, with other fellow dive professionals. Very cool. Well, we got our first question in the chat box. How about we go ahead and take that? Um, okay. Uh, I recently met with a child swimming instructor who was teaching kids how to swim and how to snorkel. Tech, do you see a new generation getting younger and younger? Yes, and especially in freediving. Especially in freediving. The reason is, is that freediving is a very pure sport. The purity of it, uh, the uniqueness, and the talent behind it is remarkable. And that speaks to younger generations. Younger kids, teenagers, 20-somethings, um, are really moved by the opportunity to better themselves and, and see progression. Um, people don't feel that with scuba. They get to stay down longer, they get to see more potentially, but there's not a transforming that takes place within the body that is the same as freediving. The freediving learning curve is one that one gets good very rapidly. Uh, and I say this with training. I do not condone going freediving or trying to watch YouTube videos on doing it. You have to take a bona fide freediving course. Most important thing I can tell you, because safety and our safety procedures is the thing that will keep free divers alive. 
two weekends ago, we lost a teenager right off of Fort Lauderdale mm. on a free diving accident. And the proper safety free, free diving protocols were not followed and it was only 20 feet of water. So this is imperative that training is done. But to answer the question, yes, we're seeing this, the, the younger generations are gravitating to free diving like crazy. Now, is free diving the feeder into scuba? Sure it is, sure it is. My, my kids are proficient free divers. Um, so this is a really, really important area. Um, and when we look at diving, uh, you know, some people have like, <laughs> I teach at a university, right? So uh, when you're around that, that co-ed population at a, at a university campus, I'm considered extraordinarily old. Right. And so because of that, you know, you get some pushback like, hey, can we take your free diving class? Scuba's for old people. Thanks. You know, it really isn't. But uh, the older you are, you can do free diving just as scuba it can be done young. But yes, we are definitely seeing that. Um, and I can tell you right now, our classes are full at the university. Uh, for all of our diving classes. The students love it. They respond to it. They want to take it. Um, and it's the energy along with marine biology that really, you know, gets people hooked and they want to study marine biology and the marine sciences and they want to get close to it. So uh, yes, I would, I would say we're seeing younger and younger folks coming into the sport and we're seeing it. A lot of the feeder is from free diving. Very cool. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking this uh, gentleman here, maybe a friend of yours, Will Kelly, uh, he said, speaking of stories, Tech has a great Harry Connick Jr. story that involves training. <laughs> is that worth a share? Well, thanks, Will. Yes, it is, actually. Um, you know how, you know, celebrities are just celebrities. We don't think that they're approachable or, or even cross our paths in, in any way, shape, or form. But in my days working at the YMCA scuba program, we had a young lady that was an attend, uh, a receptionist for the Y scuba program. She went on a trip. And on the trip, the person sitting next to her was Harry Connick Jr.'s nanny. So the nanny was holding a baby and Harry Connick Jr. and his wife were up in first class. And so she got to talking. Well, Harry Connick Jr. kept coming back. And he kept saying, why don't you sit in my spot and on and on and on and all this just, he was so amazing. And everybody on the plane knew who he was, but he was engaging. His character was just outstanding. And so Debbie came back and she was just raving about him. Now I'm a huge Harry Connick Jr. fan too, which is, is just awesome. So I was just all buzzed hearing the story. So I write a letter and I send it to his manager saying, you know, on behalf of the YMCA, a scuba program and YMCA the USA, character counts for us. And the character of caring, honesty, respect, and responsibility that was part of our core values in the YMCA is what he displayed just out in the open in the general public when tons of people are watching. And so I praised him for that. So one day we're, we're, you know, doing our thing at the Y and our headquarters and another employee, Kim, comes in and she says, Tech, you've got a phone call from Harry Connick Jr. He says he's Harry Connick Jr. And I said, no, 
No, it's definitely not Harry Connick Jr. Did it sound like him? She's like, it kind of does sound like him. I went, no, it's my buddy, Will. It's my buddy, Will, who just <laughs> re- just mentioned this story here. And I'm going, no way. Uh-uh, it's him. So she's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I went, all right, I'll, I'll get it. And so I get on the phone. I'm like, hi, this is Tech Clark. You know what I'm thinking? It's Will pulling a prank on me. And all of a sudden, I hear... Hey, Tech, this is Harry Connick Jr. I just wanted to thank you for that letter you sent me. And he just does this whole thing. And I'm going, oh, wait, that, that's not Will. No, that's not, that, this is really Harry Connick Jr. And I'm, now I'm dumbfounded because it's taking me off guard. I don't even know what he's saying. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, hey, I just wanted to thank you uh, for that. And, you know, character matters. And it's great that you're displaying it and on and on and on. So we had a wonderful conversation. And it wasn't Will, but uh, yes, thanks, Will, for bringing that up. That was a, a fun time. It certainly was. I never got to dive with him or teach him scuba, unfortunately, but oh well. Yeah, that is a cool story. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, as we're starting to wrap it up a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit about your ter- uh, time with Aggressor. So you told me that you had been on the Turks and Caicos Aggressor. Oh, my gosh, yeah. yes. Uh, best dive trip I've ever been on, hands down. Uh, there's no comparison. and. Um, what was really important was that I, I knew I wanted to do a, an aggressor. I knew it. I'd, I'd heard too much in the industry that was raving about it. And I said that we've got our sights on that. I remember um, my wife uh, suffers from motion sickness pretty, pretty regularly. So scuba trips are kind of difficult for her. Well, um, we were speaking with the agent with aggressor and it was amazing. I mentioned that and they came up with all the destinations that were calm, that had the most calm waters during the whole trip. And um, Turks was one of them. And so we selected that. Mm-hmm. And as we made our way through it, you know, everything was just first class on the service getting there and everything. Once we actually got on the boat, it was a dream come true. We enjoyed ourselves immensely. I didn't think, now I knew Turks was a great diving destination, but I didn't think that the yacht would be as beautiful as it was. I didn't think that the food would be absolutely gourmet. (laughs) And I'm telling you, my wife and I still tell stories to this day of our adventure because it comes up so much as one of the most remarkable dive trips we've ever done. And everything from uh, the wall dives to the night dives to the shark dives, um, it was fantastic and absolutely spot on. My wife never got seasick the entire time. She saw her first sharks, loves sharks now, was terrified of them before, loves them, can't get enough. And I'm telling you, when that dive bell goes off, you just get excited. And I just when we were in between dives, so I'm a free diver, right? So in between dives, I'm sitting here going, how can I jump in again? How can I go down now? And you know, we don't do free diving in between scuba dives, but you just want to, you, you just can't help it. You're looking at a, a, a boat that is literally moored over a wall, 3000 feet deep. And it just changes in these blues as the boat is drifting over the wall. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, it gives me goosebumps just, just thinking about it. 
and then um, the dinner bell rings or the lunch bell or the food bell and you just sit there and go, okay, I can't wait to see what they've created today. I cannot wait because every meal is better than the next. And then you're snacking in between dives. So we were full the whole time, fat and happy. It was great. And then after our night dive, oh, and the night dive is actually, uh, I'll tell this story here. Um, it is our most memorable dive ever. My wife and I, um, we went on the night dive. We went to a spot that had a sand spot. And I think we were down at about 60 feet. Um, maybe 70, we were in the sand, little sand spot. And I taught her to shut her light off and just take it all in, let the light adapt, mm -hmm. eyes adapt to the, the ambient light. And we were right underneath the stern of a boat. So 70 feet up is the, the aggressor, the Turks and Caicos aggressor. And it's got its aft lights on. So the lights are shining in at the stern of the boat. And all we can see is out of the darkness darting these fish, and then there's bigger fish chasing after them, and then a silhouette of a shark chasing after that. And we sat there in the dark, laying in the sand, looking up at this, and our eyes adjusted so well that we could see everything around us just perfectly without any dive light. And there was an octopus that made its way between my wife and I in, in the sand, just kind of crawling next to us, and we saw it as clear as day. And then came up at the end of the dive and got our hot chocolate with a little bit of Bailey's in it. Yeah. Oh, man, I just I just get all giddy thinking about that trip right now. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. The Turks, the Turks and Caicos aggressor was just out of this world. Well, we love hearing that. So do you have any uh, bucket list trips that you haven't done that yet that you're looking to do? I have a ton of them. Um, but uh, I would have to say Palau, uh, Oman, Raha Ampat. Those would be the destinations that I really have my eyes on. Socorro. Um, these are these are the ones that really I wanna I wanna like get good at photography for yeah. to come back with images and show people just how remarkable this is. Yeah. And you know me, being a faith-based guy. I'm going to be praising God like crazy on those trips when I get a chance to do them because those sites are, are just some of the most pristine and unique on earth. So yeah, those are my bucket list items. Very cool. Well, Tag, I think that's going to go ahead and wrap it up. Tell us one more time how people can go on, go on and check out the, uh, the reef ministries and also how they can go check out the podcast. Yeah, sure. So Reef Ministries is just simply reefministries.com. Go there, take a look. Uh, there's a bunch of articles in there. Um, it ties in faith and diving beliefs. So if you've got a strong faith-based uh, faith uh, system and you, uh, you uh, are led to that, then that's a pretty neat thing along with the course that's there. We have a course for just divers and regular uh, folks that are interested. And then we have a homeschooling edition that actually has a curriculum that a homeschooler could go through to learn about God's underwater world and the science side of it and the scripture side of it and, and so forth. And it has even a parent's guide that the parent can take their kids through. So that's a lot of fun. That's really cool. Uh, the League of Extraordinary Divers podcast, find it on any of the places that you listen to your podcast uh, or the scubaguru.com website. 
uh, it's there as well. And then the Dive Locker podcast, that one is on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, it's on a bunch of different medium as well. And uh, you can also find that at scubaguru.com uh, too. And I noticed in uh, my tagline here for you guys, it says the scuba guru tech Clark. No, 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 no. There are so many better scuba gurus out there than me that know so much more and have done so much more. The site is scubaguru.com. I'm not a scuba guru. There's the site is bringing together all these gurus and teaching and learning. So there's a lot to, to learn from there. And then, hey, uh, I would love to connect with you on Facebook. So send me a friend request on Facebook. There's also a scuba guru uh, Facebook page, Twitter and stuff like that. But I do a lot on Facebook. I'm old. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, Tag, it's been great. Very interesting call. I had a, a really great time talking with you today. Likewise, Cole. This has been a treat. It really has. It's different to be on the opposite end of an interview. Yeah. I don't really like it. <laughs> I, I like interviewing people and hearing them story. I, I, don't, I don't like talking so much. But. Well, you did great. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. I really appreciate it, Cole. Yeah. Well, thanks, everybody, for watching. And uh, we'll see you next time on an episode of Zoom to Adventure. Y'all have a great Thank week. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.